Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. This is Dan Friedman. I'm the Artistic Director Emeritus of the Castillo Theater in New York City and a member of the faculty of the Eastside Institute, the sponsor of our podcast. Today I'm talking with Alex Sutherland, the Creative Arts in Activism Coordinator at the Chetsiamani Center for Activist Education in Cape Town, South Africa. And South African listeners, please forgive me for my mispronunciation. Um, and it's great to have you here, Alex. Thank you. Thank you very and, much for having me. Oh, it's, a, it's an honor. Uh, Alex and I have known each other, folks, uh, uh, about 20 years now. Uh, we first met at uh, Performing the World Conference, which is the annual, uh, not the annual, the every other year uh, conference, global conference that the Eastside Institute organizes that brings together performance activists and teachers and, and uh, researchers. Um, and Alex, do you remember the exact date of you first attended Performing the World? I think it was, I think it was around 2003, 2002, 2003 was the first time. Yeah. yeah. So that is really 20, about 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and at that point you were a theater professor, right? Yeah, that's right. Where, yeah. where, were, you, where were you teaching then? So I was teaching at Rhodes University, which is a, a, a quite a small university in a small university town in one of the poorest provinces in South Africa. But it's quite it's, it's regarded as a very good university. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to come back to how you your journey from the university to 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 your uh, Chet Samani Center, um, yeah. at which um, I, I'm very happy to. to to among other reasons to have you here is because I think that where you're working now is one of the few places in the world that I know of, there are a few others that are dedicated to um, educational work uh, among the poor, among working class people, among marginalized people uh, with the aim as I understand it of um, generating social change and justice. So um, mm -hmm. if that's a fair assessment, maybe you can build on that and tell us a little bit about about the center, its mission, sure. and what it does. Sure, yeah. I mean, it is pretty unique uh, because what we do is we provide political education. Now, that obviously isn't unique in and of itself, but often education happens either in fairly elitist spaces like higher education or for more formal training, or it happens within particular organizations with particular ideological um, needs. You know, so you'll get unions who have political education, but they they follow a very particular ideological line. And um, Chisimani was started in 2016 as quite a maverick organization with very, very generous funding from a, a philanthropist, really to fill the gap for a more broader conceptual political understanding of the world for social movements and activists who often get caught in quite a narrow um, understanding of their issues. So if you if you work in education, you really understand the policies and some of the struggles around the education. Or if you work in social housing 
And there was, there was a need that was identified from a grassroots level of um, an activist who has a more wider uh, understanding of through which to view the world. So that um, so our job is really to work with those activists to, to, to develop material where, for example, we can look at history or we can look at contemporary case studies from around the world to understand our own world and there, therefore make choices about the kind of struggles and the alternative world that people might want. So that's kind of where we fit in. And so what's quite unique about us is that we are um, non-sectarian, is that we, we, are, we are progressive, yeah. we, are, we are progressives, but our job really, we feel, is to bring progressives together who often come from quite contestable areas to not fight over the crumbs, but right. in terms of solidarity and consciousness raising and broader debates and plurality of voices around different social issues and around social justice and political change. Um, and and what, what I really love about our organization is that the arts are seen as one of the fundamental modalities to enable that process. So um, I think that is quite unique as well. Yes. And that's your job, right? To coordinate the arts elements. Yeah. Yeah. So um, um, I think there's, there's a real understanding within the organization that there are many ways people come to knowledge. Um, and because we work with and working class communities they come from a wide variety of educational backgrounds um, and how, so how do you provide a diversity of, of learning possibilities that is whole body experiences and collective and relational and of course that's where arts and media so we use film we use um, performing arts and we use a lot of visual material as as a kind of basket of tools to also enable activists to understand their own creativity, um, because of course, um, you know, a lot of you know, there's a lot of thinking that a lot of thinkers talk about um, the relationship between imagination and resistance, and for us, that is quite quite critical. Yeah. It's not it's not just enough to name your struggle. Um, Activism is acting, and you have to then imagine another world. You have to imagine the alternatives. And, and I think for me, imagination is crucial within political work because without it, actually, you lose hope. Um, and so how do, how do you plug into people's creativity and imaginative possibilities, which has often been quelled through all sorts of ways and suppressed, as we know, in layers and layers of formal institutions, be it religious, the state, or education. Right, or, or, or even uh, progressive ideologies. Completely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, any ideology gives you a frozen set of ideas that you've got to fit into, and there's very little room for, for development, yeah, for, for creativity. Exactly. Yeah, I love your phrase, activism is acting. People forget that so much. And uh, could, could you be a little more um, kind of specific about what kind of what that arts work looks like? I, I know a number of your programs that, that I'm a little familiar with are the uh, Imagining Otherwise and the Kitchen Assemblies. So maybe give our listeners a sense of the kind of things you, you, you do there. Okay, so... Um... So in a more structured, uh, formal, not, not formal, but in a more structured environment, um, we would hold something that would be called a foundation school for activists, where under normal conditions, activists would meet 
a cohort would meet, say, four times a year to really grapple with some foundational understandings of, for example, um, how capitalism has developed over time, or what is feminism or queer politics and why should I care as an activist and how does it infiltrate my work, whatever we are working with. And within the methodologies that we employ, there will always be a creative component. That might be um, a, a, you know, a collage work with images. It might be using African Somi and storytelling techniques to um, translate an idea. So in many ways, I think for us, one of our pedagogical approaches is how do you translate theory, which is often really outside of us, um, into something that we relate to and identify with? And I often, and often for us, it's the act of creation that is an act of translation um, to to whatever the group uh, is needed to apply that um, external idea or that external case study into their own worlds and their own lives and lived experience. Um, so that's one example. Mm -hmm. um, in my own, when I first got to the organization, I was like, okay, I'm not quite sure how to fit into this big, you know, sort of, you know, how do I, how do I find my own way? You know, we're teaching Marxist theory here or, um, um, you know, the, the Venezuelan case study there and where do I find my way? And I, one of the ways I started was thinking, well, you know, you need to, to build the next layer of activists. And like anywhere in the world, South Africa's schooling system really doesn't want young people to think critically, even though we pretend they do. We actually don't want that. <laughs> you know, that's, how, yep. that's, how, that's how the state and capitalism works. Um, and so I thought, well, young people love to express themselves and they're often not given the opportunity to. Um, arts education in our schools is all but dead. So mm -hmm. I started a youth arts festival, um, you know, just thought, well, why don't I get some young people together and we can look at some of the things that they care about socially and politically and grow their confidence in having a social and political voice through the visual and the performing arts. So that was something that we uh, started in 2017 or 18, and we've just launched 2021 version, which is gonna be some sort of hybrid of something. I don't know. You know, if we can't meet in a kind of uh, site-specific performance way, we'll have small performances and we'll have some videos, but that group has just started on their own journey of there's five groups and they're all creating small pieces and stories that look into the idea of what if young people rule the world? What mm -hmm. would the world actually look like? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one. And then the instead of the festival last year, because we had the big C word <laughs> and nothing could happen, um, uh, I worked on a project called Imagining Otherwise, which was with a group of young people also across Cape Town in quite a dispossessed area, a very large area of Cape Town called the Cape Flats, where um, their parents and grandparents had forcibly been removed to during apartheid. And it's 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 very inhospitable. It's built on a floodplain. And um, it's, you know, it's beset by all the social problems, but it's also known as one of as as one of the most violent places in the world. Um, the gangster violence, violence is incredibly are pronounced and um, you know these young people live with a backdrop of um, substance abuse um, poverty and violence and 
-hmm. we, the, the project was what do we imagine could be different and how do we collectively create new relationships through, through the arts to imagine that different. And that was a year long project that is just coming to an end now. Um, and the young people made short films, they, they wrote monologues and they created visual art pieces and then also came together when we could to share those ideas. Um, yeah, and for me, as we all know, it's not the product, it's the process. And the process for me is watching young people grow in confidence about who they can be in the world and the, the stories that they can tell that matter. Mm -hmm. And that those stories can actually also be listened to with seriousness. Yeah. Um, yeah. What excites me about what you're saying and telling us is that the education at the center is, is not so much learn this fact and learn that fact or this theoretical framework, but it's let's create something new, something that moves us beyond where we are, which of course brings us to the kind of, at least the way the Eastside Institute looks at uh, development, that it's a, a way to, to move on to something else. But mm -hmm. development, development is such a slippery word. I mean, it has yeah. so, so many meanings. You know, in in nonprofit organizations or NGOs, as the rest of the world calls them, the the development department is the department that raises money. You know, and, and in the theater, when you speak of script development, you're referring to workshops that help the playwright to develop her script. And um, you know, and in traditional psychology, I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but you know, development is tied to, to your age. And of course, in Africa and, and elsewhere in the world, development has political overtones. I mean, just, just the use of the word underdeveloped countries and over and, and developed countries is, is so loaded. Um, so, and also, I, I again, you, you probably know more about this than me, but a lot of the theater, what we would call theater for political theater or theater for social change in the US in Africa takes then is called theater for development. And, so, and a lot of what the development in that case seems to be is teaching the audience to be more modern. And modern, of course, is a, you know, a cold word for more European. So given all that uh, slipperiness, uh, what, what does development mean to you? And, and how is it, it um, embodied in your work? Could you, I mean, you've already said, You've already given examples of it, but I just want you to maybe step back and reflect on that. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, yeah, that's a big question. But um, I, think, I think part of it is um, a stance that says ordinary people, and I mean that broadly, have the capacity to make decisions about their own lives and tell the stories they need to tell. Now, that, that might seem quite simple, but in the NGO, NPO world, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You know, the NB, NGO comes in and says, well, what you need is. Right. Um, and we try to work quite differently and try to be far more consultative and trust and trust and believe that activists and social movements know the most and that what where can we come in halfway? So... I mean, that for me is um, development away from a top down towards a far more bottom up approach. I'm not mm. saying it's always easy. I'm not saying there aren't masses of contradictions within that. There are that we have to grapple all the time. But I mean, that's that's for me one thing. Um, and for me, um, development within the work that you and I do is about the collective and building relationships mm -hmm. 
and building relationships that um, build further in terms of um, enabling people to feel better about themselves and who they are in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't, that sounds simple, but it's also quite big, isn't it? You know, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> so for me, that's, that's what development is. It's, it's, um, it's, it's for me the excitement of watching a group come together and, and structuring a process where we say, you know, what do you feel about this? And then how do we turn that into a wrap? Or how can you work together to turn that into a fun duologue? And the excitement and the energy that comes with that in saying, yeah, let's, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. And so we're not focusing on the, the tragedy, which mm -hmm. is always there. The crisis and the tragedy is always there. But we are creating from that collectively that allows, I think, for um, meaning and meaning making, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in artistic mm -hmm. sense, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's well, that's thank you. That's a beautiful uh, unpacking of that concept and that activity. I. Uh, I just want to pause for a moment because so far you've talked about your work with youth, but I just want to make sure that everybody knows that you, the uh, the center also works with with adults. So could you give us uh, a little overview of the types of groups you work with? Yeah, I mean we do primarily work with young activists, but also um, that not but not totally. So we we also work with with women's groups and self-organizing women's groups. Um, and also activists who are connected with particular social movements. Um, so, for example, um, land is a huge issue in South Africa, and so we are connected with a lot of um, uh, land social justice and housing justice um, movements. Um, and there's obviously different layers within those organizational structures in terms of where you work and how you work and how you bring people together. Um, so... <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, so so that so it is quite a wide range of um, types of work, but I mean the basis is it's is that it's poor and working class mm -hmm. people. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. Well, you it, when you were talking about development, I, I was very impressed with the way you articulated this. You said the crisis and the tragedy are always there, um, and what we do is try to create something with it. And I think that's so important, not just at your center, but around the world that people, mm. the, the tragedy and the crisis is there and it, 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 it paralyzes so many folks and, uh, mm. and, and creates spirals that go further and further by great development. Ah, well, let's, I, I think this is about time for us to take a, a, a pause and, um, We'll come and hear a little bit about the Eastside Institute, which is the sponsor of our podcast. And when we come back, Alex, I want to explore more your development over the years and, and how you've uh, you emerged as, as a, a, a leading performance activist. So we'll, we'll be okay. right back. We'll be right back, folks. Hi. 
I'm Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. Welcome back to uh, All Power to the Developing. Uh, I'm Dan Friedman, your host this week, and I'm here with Alex Sutherland. And uh, Alex has been telling us about the great work she's doing in Cape Town. And before we, we move on, you, you, Alex, you wanted to share something with, uh, with the audience, right? Yeah, I mean, I just, off the last things that we were just talking about, um, my colleague Pindi um, introduced me to this um, man called Max Haven, who writes about the crisis of imagination, crisis of power. And when I started reading his work, I was just going, yes, 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 at every single turn, because it reminded me so much about what the Eastside Institute does and believes in. But this is, this is one of his quotes. He says, a revolution is not made of good ideas, but rather by good ideas materialized in social spaces. Solidarity is not a matter of having the right political ideas and sympathies but of building real, tangible relationships. Mm. And I just thought, you know, this idea of a relational revolution <laughs> is kind mm -hmm. of what the East Side is also talking about. And so it is, anyway, yeah. Yeah, so I just, I just wanted to, yeah, end off that, that part with that. That's, that's great. Uh, his name is Max Haven? Yes, H-A-I-V-E-N. Okay, so everybody... Uh, um, Take Alex's recommendation and find his his writings. I, I know yeah. I'm going to. Um, thank you. Sure. Um, let's, uh, so again, you, I'm so happy we started off with hearing about the work you're doing now, but everything has a history and everything uh, uh, evolves uh, or devolves. But in your case, you've definitely evolved. So t tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you were at Rhodes University in, in mm. Graham's in Grahamstown, which is now mm -hmm. uh, Makanda, right? And uh, that's right, yeah, yeah. And uh, and you were a theater professor. How did you get involved outside of the academy? Um, okay, so I, you know, my kind of uh, speciality within the theater department, what is broadly known as applied theater or theater for social and political change, um, and uh, so kind of my. You know, I found the academy quite a difficult space, as many people do, particularly if you have a kind of activist edge. Um, you know, you you think that you think that going into an institute of higher education is going to be a progressive experience, and then you find it isn't. And you know, and then some of you might know, in 2015 and 2016, there were masses of student movements across South Africa within different campuses and my own campus as well, but we had a third one, which was to do with um, gender-based violence and rape. And um, 
though in all of the campuses it was, they were handled in a very very uh, repressive way by um, not only the state but by also the senior management within those universities and um, really I was experiencing an incredible sense of meaning through um, solidarity with the students and and finding out how as a staff member some of us could be allies while being vilified by the rest of the staff body <laughs> and I mean my experience is not unique many 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 people yeah. across campuses found that but I just started to get very disillusioned with the whole academic project and um, you know where I could be in the world and um, I, you know I I felt my my voice within the institution was being silenced and quite violently I was being targeted because of asking difficult questions and yeah so that was kind of part of my exit from from formal academia but also I realized that all of the fulfillment I found was outside of the university itself mainly so um, you'll know that I ran a, a project in a, in a prison for 12 years and also in a psychiatric institution for five years. And that, that work was fundamentally political and very, very meaningful for all of us, um, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, my, my journey out of um, formal, formal academia. I mean, I still love researching and I'm still publishing and I'm still connected, but it's far more liberating <laughs> to be in the space that I'm in where I can truly grapple with change in a very real way. It's not always comfortable at all, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe you could say a little bit more about the work in the, in the prison in particular and in the hospital because it was there that you were using theater and performance mm. techniques, but not mm. necessarily to create a, a play, but to engage people's growth and development. Uh, so I would, I think people would really uh, benefit from hearing how that worked. Sure. So, I mean, um, South Africa has, the, the anti-apartheid theater movement in South Africa has a very, very strong devising, devised theater tradition. Right. Right. Which was a, which was a kind of radically democratic mode that was used by theatre makers under apartheid, you know, in relation to the authoritarian state. And so within many most universities, for example, the first thing you learn is devised theatre. You don't start with script or script writing. You start to make your own work because mm -hmm. also the industry is dead. And if you can't make your own work, <laughs> no one's going to give you a job. And so, I mean, it's an incredibly generative um, method. But yes. also, when you're working within the prison population, like anywhere in the world, we know that the average education level is very, very low. Um, so in both those situations, I was working with men, some of whom were illiterate. So script work was not an option at all. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, it would have been a huge obstacle. So everything we did was improvised based. We used theater games. Um, and then we, we, we improvised at the, at the end of every single session, there was a, a scene that was then shown. And so, you know, that work, um, you know, taught me a lot about where people start at and where they can go to if they are, if, they, if they're not pigeonholed into you're a prisoner, you better make a story about being in prison or you better make a story about why you got into prison, which is, is, is the stories they first start making. Um, and it actually, any, you know, of, often uh, within the whole criminal justice system, that's 
that's the only thing people can think of telling. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, I'm like, well, okay, that's great. Let's move. This is, you know, you're not only this. <laughs> so um, it was wonderful once they started to feel confident about the range of roles and stories and possibilities that are out there. Um, how growth and development happen so that mm -hmm. men's men are not, you know, everywhere else within the institution, they are defined by their deviance. Yeah. Um, whereas, um, I mean, there's a lot of theater work that starts from deviance, as we know, you know, we're here because you are a prisoner and we believe, you know, um, I tried very hard. I was not interested at all about the crimes that people had done in the hospital. I'm not interested about, you know, their diagnosis. As long as everyone is safe, in the space that you know we are going to play mm -hmm. that's it we're going to play we're not doing it because you're going to be rehabilitated we're not doing it because uh, the theater in the hospital is a form of therapy we're doing it because we are a group of human beings and i believe you can all create together and let's see what happens mm -hmm. and um that as a starting point has been the starting point for all of my work in so-called marginalized or deficit spaces where people are defined by their deficit um, is to, and again, it's a bit like not, not it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit like saying, it's not saying that the tragedy or the crisis isn't there. It's not saying that your mental illness isn't there. It's not saying that you haven't done a horrible thing to somebody else maybe. That's there, but it's not the starting point for our work. Yeah. It's not the end point for our work either. And right. some of it might come into the work, but that's not all we are about as human beings. Yeah. And so um, in in both those contexts, which were, in, you know, in my, in my research, um, I use a lot of Goffman because everything that Goffman wrote in 1959 in asylums played mm -hmm. out, particularly in the psychiatric hospital as well. You know, nothing had shifted in terms of what he was observing about how people are conditioned to behave within the total institution. Um, and so there's something radically humanizing about and intimate. You know, intimacy ain't allowed when you're working with men who've committed crime. Mm -hmm. But what happens if you say, get into your partner and mirror each other getting dressed for a very fancy event in silence. There's something very intimate about that relationship that is never explored outside of that space. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of going all over the place, but um, for, me, yeah. for me, it is radically humanizing just to start with, we are all players, let's try and play together. And that's it. Yep. That well, again, I, I thank you for what I just took as a very um, beautiful and articulate uh, uh, understanding of what I call performance activism, of this whole notion that the point of performance isn't necessarily to put on a play or to sit in, to have people sit in the dark and watch you tell a story, but to use performance as play, as a way of, as you put it, we're human beings together and we can create something. Uh, and that's sort of the basis of, of, of what, I, what I've been calling performance activism now. People are, are beginning to do this all over the world, but you, you, you really are a pioneer of it. And I'm <laughs> really happy to have you here. I mean, as you put it, the whole process is radically humanizing and intimate. 
And that's, that's a way beyond or through the tragedy and the crisis. So thank, mm. thank you for that. Uh, most thank you for your work and thank you for that, that beautiful expression of it. Um, go ahead. Can, yeah, I mean, I just, I did, I did quite a lot of um, research within, the, for example, the hospital environment. Mm -hmm. And what was really amazing was within the theater group, there were three clinicians who participated as fellow players. That was, that was the condition. If you come to this group, you are a fellow player, nothing else. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the unpredicted things was they found the human in themselves and, and, the, and the other, which was their patients, because that relationship was interrupted. And the patients who are also interviewed, without any prompting, talked about feeling human. Mm about when the psychologist was my partner and we were improvising, it makes us feel human. You know, and you, you just think, well, what else is there? You know, in this world of division, and those men in the hospital were incarcerated because of mental illness, because what they had done was violent. So they were mad and bad. Mm -hmm. And they had complete surrender to the institution. You know, they were, they'd been institutionalized without, you know, and they had to go on a drug regime and they had to be um, completely compliant. You know, it was an incredibly oppressive situation. Um, and for me, that space then became incredibly radical in terms of what the possibilities were and how those men who use your Lois's words, performed a head taller week after week to the absolute amazement of the clinicians who were there. You know, a man who could barely, barely talk outside of the space was doing and initiating things within the space that no one thought that man was, was capable of mm -hmm. or had been or had been abandoned as unrehabilitative and, and, and therapy would no longer work for that person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. Well, more testimony to the power of performance and play. Um, yes. Now, over this last, so I think it's. Um, I thought it was help important for the audience to, to hear that journey that brought you to Cape Town and that experiences which you're now bringing to, to the folks there. Um, and and as I understand it, you're beginning to bring your your activism up. Into the onto the international stage as well, in, in a in, in in some way. So this last pandemic year, you've you've gotten involved in the uh, global play brigade, um, for mm -hmm. example. So maybe you could tell us briefly about what that is and and why that you find that um, interesting and worth doing. So um, the global play brigade was started by the wonderful Kathy Salit um, and who who recognized we needed to connect during all of our hard lockdowns all over the world, where we were all just watching in horror in March, April, May last year, when the world was imploding and we were becoming more and more isolated. And so the, the Global Play Brigade was born as a way of connecting people through play and storytelling and improv, using platforms like Zoom and WhatsApp. Um, and so people can volunteer to facilitate or they can just join. It's all free. 
um, and it's all volunteer based and um, there are literally people all over the world who are either offering workshops or they are participating in workshops and every time I've participated or offered one I've met somebody from another country and so it's really an incredible way to reach out and connect and to feel a little bit of joy you know, mm -hmm. when, it, when the world does not feel very joyful at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then there's a, a very nascent uh, project that I'm involved in with with you uh, called Let's Learn, which is partially inspired by um, the Global Play Brigade, which we can't really talk much about because it's still coming into being. But it's to, to try to have a free international school that connects mm. people all over the world, uh, and that the school would be um, along the lines of your work, not not experts just teaching people facts, but a dialogic conversational thing and that involves mm. both both academics and people outside of the university and people who have traditional knowledges and skills and culture sharing that on a, on a global level and uh, we're, we're looking to try to launch that and um and alex is on the advisory board of that which is going to be meeting in a couple of weeks so i'm very yeah. excited i'm very excited to have you and the incredible um skill and experience you have uh, been we've been talking about uh brought to the to the global stage no well it's it's been it, I'm, I'm very happy to be invited I'm, I'm i'm amongst a very amazing group of people so thank you for asking me of course of course um and uh i guess uh, just one last thing which is what's uh what's next for for the for your for your center do you have uh, plans now that the the pandemic is is slowly fading or or is it slowly fading well I'm, in south africa it's just ramped up quite significantly actually. oh it has so oh, dear. and i'm sure some of your listeners will know about the vaccine apartheid that's happening so we have a very slow vaccine rollout we've had to battle to get vaccines um and we're in the midst of a very very bad third wave at the moment so things are actually closing down um but we yeah it's really hard <laughs> but uh yeah so we're trying to develop a lot more whatsapp use and the use of sound like podcasts because whatsapp is very uh, affordable um in terms of data usage we don't have the luxury of zoom because uh connectivity in south africa is very patchy and mm -hmm. data is incredibly expensive so there are lots of digital challenges in this time so it's been it's been very very tough um, to be creative and to keep the work going, um, but yeah, we have to move and adapt all the time with it to to figure yeah. it, to figure it out. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the last year and a half, so many of us around the world have had to deal with similar situations. But the uh, and you have to learn to adapt and be creative. And I have no doubt that if anyone can do that, it's you. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Thank you for everything, both. Uh, I think it's really important that the world know about your work and what's going on in South Africa, um, both uh, both the, the tragedy and crisis and the uh, creativity that you can generate and the development. So thank you very much, Alex, for spending this time with us. And uh, uh, oh, you, you, do you want to give the, uh, the website for, for the center so people want to yeah. look it up? Yeah, I'd better spell it out. Thank you, Dan. Yes, you better spell it out. 
So it's www.chisimani, which is T-S-H-I-S-M-A-N-I. I hope I've spelled that right. I-M-A-N-I dot org dot Z-A. Was that a bit muddled? Do it one more time. Just Okay. <laughs> so I'm not going to have to write it out. T-S-H-I-S-A-M-A-N-I. Chisimani.org.za. Okay. Thank you so much and keep up the good work and we'll, we'll speak soon. Thank you so much. It's been great chatting to you as well. Thank you.